down those cards. Cards mean different things at different times. Do you know anything about tarot cards? Oh, Gather around, children. Listen to the mystics. <laughs> Journey. Podcast. I'm no mystic. Welcome to the Mystic Fool's Journey podcast. I'm Anna, and this is Ruth. Howdy. And today we have a guest with us, Ashley Ryan, the Pythian Priestess. Did I say that correctly? I want to make sure I'm saying Pythian. You did. Yes, you did. Okay, great. <laughs> I definitely had to look it up just to double check because my brain was like, Python, right? Like, it's like the snake. It's- That's what everyone says. <laughs> I know, but it's not. It's Pythian, everybody. So today we'll be chatting with Ashley about her journey and about her practice, but we really want to have her tell her spiel, her opening. So between the Pythian Mystery School, your candle magic, scrying, tarot, you have a thriving community, Ashley. For any of our listeners who are meeting you for the first time, we'd love for you to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about how you found your way into tarot, the occult, and magic. Sure. So hi, everyone. It's a lot. Yeah. My journey into into magic and the occult started when I was four. I was four years old. And I grew up with two great aunts who were Benedictine nuns. And they asked me if I wanted to be a nun. And I said, no. (laughs) I want to be a priest. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. I like that. Ooh, that's the answer. Yeah. And I, being a priestess is something I think that you, you discover from a very early age. Like you're very interested in religion and theology. And uh, I always wanted to search for the truth with a capital T. And so when I was in high school, I... I tried to find it in literature. I couldn't find it there. So when I went to undergrad, I studied philosophy and theology. And then when I started to get an idea of what truth was, I started hitting up against esotericism more and more. And, I, I, you know, philosophy is like very rigid in the modern day. And they're like, no, it has nothing to do with it. And it's like, I think you're wrong. Uh, so <laughs> we love that. That's where you start to find out the good stuff is when you challenge things. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then I moved to Los Angeles to become a television uh, producer and writer. And I discovered the Philosophical Research Society, which has the author of Manly P. Hall. And that's when my my esoteric studies really, really started on a formal level because they have uh, classes and courses and then I dove even deeper. Um, but, you know, in between all that, there was inklings uh, along the way of people, guides, um, people who were my mentors, who taught me different aspects of occultism. But my my biggest moment in my journey uh, was in 2020 when I was initiated into a hermetic, a hermetic practice. And it it was life changing in a way that where you really, um, for me, being a priestess is about service. It's not a title. A lot of people are like, honestly, people call me a princess all the time. I'm like, no, I'm not a princess. (laughs) Very different. (laughs) Very different. Very different. I'm a handmaiden. And my, my purpose is to serve the goddess here and the divine will. Love that. It's a beautiful story. Yeah, it's a very powerful story. Thank you for sharing. So you mentioned that you are an initiated 
priestess and is it to the goddess Aset? Is that right? Yes, yes. Aset, Aset, Isis. She has many names. She's known as the goddess of 10,000 names, actually. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you were drawn to Aset specifically? So if you study comparative religion, it is a an energy system that you see through multiple cultures. So Isis is Greek. The Egyptian version is Aset or Aset. And then in Christianity, it's the Virgin Mary. So I was introduced to this as a Catholic at a very early age, but it didn't really hit home for me until I was 14 years old. And I was at a jewelry trade show with a boyfriend who was not a good match for me. Mm-hmm. We know those vibes. Yeah, we can relate. Yeah, terror. <laughs> A tarot reader told me to get away, and I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Ooh, that's quite the reading. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went over to this booth, and I saw the hieroglyph of Isis, her with one knee up and her wings expanded. And it was, you know, expensive for a 14-year-old. And I was like, um... I have to have this. I don't know why, but this is so important to me. Um, And so that was my really first introduction to her as the Egyptian goddess. And she had been present with me uh, through a lot of times in my life in very, you know, discreet ways. A lot of times finding quarters on the ground. You know, they talk about pennies from heaven, but you get quarters, you're talking to a big energy. Ooh, I like that. And that was really my first introduction to her was that trade show with that unlikable person <laughs> <laughs> well we're we're really certainly glad that sometimes the unlikable things can lead us to the likable <laughs> and the divine absolutely yeah i am just struck by how all of this has happened all of these key moments that you've spoken of so far happened when you were very young four years old <laughs> benedictine nun aunts fantastic you are exposed from an early age and it really does sound like you you've just had this like synchronicity and this calling and found your way to it. I love that 2020 is when you're initiated because it sounds like you've been, obviously you've been going on this journey whether or not you knew it, as you said, in discreet ways. Right. So 2020, you were initiated. What did the, not the process of initiation, but what did finding the group for you look like when it came to, okay, I'm ready to seek this out and become Ah. a priestess? So I was searching for a while. Um, For about a year and a half, I had been going to various covens around Los Angeles. I had been exploring um, theosophy. I studied, I I looked into the the Eastern Star. I I looked into forms of traditional witchcraft. And uh, I was in one class with um, my then mentor. And he told me about the Temple of Isis. Mm. and I was like what because I was like that's it that's what I've been looking for and then he explained that like they don't choose everybody there's a it's a very selective process and I was like I don't care I'm gonna do it anyway so <laughs> yeah heck yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's so interesting it's just kind of like people ask me all the time like how do they know what intuition is mm-hmm. and, and it's this gut-wrenching moment where the feeling of certainty comes through in a illogical way. Like I couldn't say like that is I I knew logically that that was where I was needed to be. It just felt that way. That's awesome. It sounds like you had a really strong community around you that you were able to seek out and find. 
Does initiation always look like that? Do you always need a community around you to kind of support you through this process? Or can it be kind of a self-led sort of journey? Well, you can do self-led. I don't think it's as powerful, honestly, because you do need someone who's above you energetically to do certain things. But um, you can find self-initiation books uh, everywhere. And, you know, I'm very blessed and very fortunate to be in Los Angeles where there are magical societies like that. A plethora of them, (laughs) which is really fantastic. I am going to rewind just a little bit in your journey. So we had four years old. You knew you wanted to be a priest. At what point, because I remember... um, Learning, I think, from an in- a previous interview you've done that you brought home your first tarot deck from a Renaissance festival. Is that correct? Kind of. Yeah, that's right. Kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's when I was first exposed to tarot was the Renaissance festival. I really wanted to get my palm read. Oh. And the woman said, would you like a tarot reading too? And I was like, what's tarot? <laughs> yeah, you're like, what is that? What? And I walked away being like, tarot's way cooler than palmistry. And I got my first deck at Barnes and Noble because I asked her, I was like, I have to know, where do you get this? Like, I was ready to climb mountains and like cross seas. And she's like, Barnes and Noble. And I was like a little bit like, oh, but yay, because that's easy. <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a little, a little let down, but at least I can get it. It's accessible. <laughs> Our audience, we always get the question. Do you have to have a gift as your first tarot deck? Can you buy your own? Does that have that bad vibes attached to it? And it's always like, hey, man, get on into it. I don't think any of us would be into tarot if it wasn't for Barnes & Noble. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know where that weird myth came from. Um, it's not true. Yeah, you can buy your own deck. Um, you know, I have my opinions on what decks you should start with, but you can buy any deck you want. Oh, for sure, for sure. So follow-up question here. Do you, uh, now that you're more seasoned in your practice, what are some ways that you currently weave tarot into your life and your magical practice? So tarot is something that I do every day, but most importantly, before you do any kind of spell work, because it will tell you the outcome of the spell. That's so important. Like I've, I learned a while ago that like, why am I wasting my time if I don't know if this is going to work or not? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big one. The other thing is that tarot uh, is the storybook of you, so you can use it for writing. I do that a lot. Like, if I want to think about, like, character development, like, pull some cards. What does that character's journey look like? Because it follows the monomyth or the hero's journey, as Joseph Campbell described. Of course, it's much older than that, but that's, like, the contemporary way of explaining it, and I think that tarot is applicable to to everyone, and especially when you're trying to create something that's universal, very helpful. <laughs> yeah, we talk about about the uh, fool's journey on our podcast, and kind of that you know, there's different archetypes that you can uh, relate to at different times in your life, and tarot is a great way to when you pull a card, you can kind of use that as some self exploration for you and your feelings, or you can kind of use that card to spark some creative energy and create out of that. It's, it's a very handy tool to have in your toolkit. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> Definitely. You've got like a thriving like candle magic is one of the big themes that you have on your your school. It, within your school, you know, you teach courses on that as well as on like your TikTok where people might have found you first. Um, is at this point, you mentioned that like you use tarot to kind of guide that work. Is there ever a time when you're like, tell someone, 
I can't do this spell for you because it won't work? Or like, do you weave it into when you're working with clientele? Oh, yeah. There's times where I said, hey, uh, that's why I do consultations before I do spell work for anybody. Mm, so smart. Yeah. Yeah. You have to because there some people want things that are against my value system. I will not put a forced love spell on someone. I will not do um, an obsession spell. I also don't curse people. You know, that's not my my desire. I don't have desire to hurt others anymore. Sometimes, you know, when you're younger, you get angry and you want to, like, think you're a justice person. And it's like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. I need to take a step back for a second. I'm human. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, there's only been a couple of times in my life, I can probably count on two hands, where I needed someone else to do a reading for me because you can get clouded. Your judgment can get clouded. And you're like, I need someone else to, to look at my energy and read it because I am so passionate about this subject that I can't do anything objective. That's really smart. And that's where the community part really comes in. Like if you're trying to do self-guided, it might be tough if you don't have someone around to be another source of wisdom for you. Definitely. In terms of tarot a little bit are there any this is just a funsies question this is just like a get to know you question are do you have a favorite card or like a card that completely changes a reading once it comes out ruth and i sometimes talk about birth cards and how like we might rearrange the reading if one of our birth cards comes out oh interesting so i'm just super curious yeah i'm just curious to to know like if there's anything that stands out to you <laughs> Oh, well, my birth card is the tower and the chariot. So that's a intense reading. Oh, really intense one. Yeah, we just had a podcast about those that that pairing is really powerful. I feel like the definition of equal and opposite balances right there with the tower and the chariot. Oh, so good. Strong birth cards. Definitely. So the only card that changes anything in the deck is the sun card. And that's because the sun is so overwhelmingly joyful is that it can actually reverse minor arcana next to it, not major. Um, so that would be like the only one that changes a reading for me. But um, there's like no personal cards. I try to stay very objective when uh, I'm reading, especially because um, I use this term lightly. People will say like if they're receiving a message, they call it channeling. I'm not channeling. I don't have a spirit inside of me coming through, but I do receive messages um, from guides, I like open up the space mm -hmm. for their energies to work with me. Now that sometimes backfires because I've had stuff attached to me and it's like really ugly. Um, so you have to be careful. But my favorite card in the deck, I bounce back and forth between two of them. I really like the star card because that's like what I'm striving to achieve. Um, and then the high priestess because she's the one who channels the energy of the empress onto earth and it's about the balance um of of the light the dark the yin and the yang and you see that in other cards but particularly the priestess is the one that really sits obviously with me <laughs> yeah i was gonna say it's like it's very fitting <laughs> it's very fitting yes high priestess energy for sure i say the star and i'm only i'm only a little biased it's one of my birth cards so it's one of my favorites <laughs> oh cool there you go. And the High Priestess is one of mine. High Priestess oh. and Justice there. So we love to see it. Love to see it. Very cool. Yeah. A little follow-up question, because um, you mentioned that, you know, sometimes heavy things have gotten attached to you. Do you have any tried and true ways of kind of 
getting that off of you, getting that energy off of you if something comes through? So immediately I take care of it. Um, when I was younger and, and stupider, I'd wait to like take care of it. Um, not anymore. No, I take care of it immediately. So the first thing I try is crystals. The crystals, and I will, I purposely put up wards like that when I'm doing the reading. So there will be some crystals, selenite, clear quartz, blocking between me and the other person to clear the energy. Um, sometimes that doesn't work. So then we take it a step up and I do my banishing. If that doesn't work and then I, I go usually to, I'm when I, it usually happens when I'm in person with someone. So I either go to the store owner that I know personally and be like, Hey, I need help with this real quick. If that's not a possible, a possibility, then I just go into a deeper kind of, uh, meditation and banishing ritual it will be more on the astral level though because then i know it's like bad <laughs> yeah it's rough <laughs> awesome it sounds like you have a really wide toolkit there to help you out in those sorts of situations things people should know just in case <laughs> like for anyone who's yeah. just starting out i think it's too like important to say you need to clean your deck and yourself after every person because it it picks up energy and you're going to get mixed messages, confusion, and you're not objective. You're a biased reader. You're not a clear vessel. So try to clear yourself as much as possible. Mm, that's a really good point to bring up that we all are biased readers is for sure something to recognize when you first start out is that, you know, we have these inherent biases that are going to, you know, affect how we read and that sort of thing. And just being aware of them is the first step to kind of, you know, combating that. Awesome. Well, so you were studying philosophy and theology, you said. Right. Were there any major turning points or specific books, theories, general learnings that like super duper influenced your personal practice or spiritual journey in general? Mm -hmm. Yes. So one of the big things that I learned was comparative religion. You know, I studied that at the university level and that's where, because I was on that search for truth. Which religion has truth? Oh, turns out they all have some truth in it. That's called omnism or omniism. So that was a huge turning point for me. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I get that. And then the other part was discovering the Pythia priestess. So I was told, you know, by my, my great aunts in the Catholic tradition that girls couldn't be priests. And I was like, oh, well, I don't care anymore. That was like my four-year-old attitude. Yeah, I mean, that's the right attitude. You're like, so you, you're not going to let me do the thing that I feel called to do? Okay, well, then you're not for me. Like, right, yeah. Because they were like exalting this. They were like, oh, it's so important to do. And I was like, cool, cool, I'll do it. Oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, like, wait, why would you tell me this thing is really important and then not let me be a part of it? Mm -hmm. So discovering that there were priestesses of the ancient world and... Uh, yes, she was the oracle as well, but first and foremost, she was a priestess. She, and yeah, there were so three sibyls at a t at the height of when, and it was a big deal to go to the Pythia priestess. It was an extensive process. Like it only happened like once a month. It had to happen on a certain moon cycle. There was you had to bring an offering, not to the priestess, to the gods that had to get sacrificed. Also. They would do, um, the priestess would do, the head priestess would do a sacrifice. And if it sacrificed, like, I don't know exactly how she read it, but if it didn't turn out favorable, she'd be like, okay, bye, everybody. Not today. Wait next month. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Jeez Louise. I didn't know about that part. Like, I, I knew about, like, the sacrifices and the moon, but I did not know that she could just be like, well, this isn't the day anymore. Sorry. Yeah. Like, so 
powerful. And the other thing that I um I really l- loved was that it wasn't this. So there are two periods that we can talk about the age of the priestesses. They used to be young virgin girls for a while. Um, and then there was some sexual assault. There was some not favorable actions. And then it was decided that it would be a woman over 50. And she could have been married. She could have had kids. And she gave up her entire life to go be the priestess. And that for me was like, that's cool because now you're moving outside of the patriarchy. It doesn't have to be this virginal vessel, which is like important for some things I understand. But to say that like even a woman who's birthed children could be a vessel for the gods was something that you didn't really see a lot of in in ancient um, ancient literature. Mm, so cool, man. I think we could all take a lesson from that in terms of like it doesn't it doesn't end. You're not like, you can't be like a withered husk at a certain point. You always have the ability to do this and harness this and be a powerful force. Yeah. And even the crone is important. Yes. I was going to say triple goddesses. Mm. That's my jam. So I'm like, yeah, that that's the whole point. You can do this throughout every cycle of life. It might look different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it will be different. I think I'm gearing up here for a nice deep dive rabbit hole. I think uh, Wikipedia and the Google search is about to come with me so I can learn more about this awesome story that's uh, that you're telling us here. I need to know more about these priestesses. Yeah, if you have any books too, obviously we have the internet, but if there's specific books, let us know, Ashley. <laughs> Yeah, no, I recommend um the podcast by Parcast, Unexplained Mysteries. They have the two-part series on her. Oh, amazing. Awesome. Heck yeah, we'll, we'll definitely hop on that. What advice would you give to listeners who are just starting their magical practice, their tarot reading, or spiritual journey in general? As I said earlier, you are an impure vessel. You're going to be wrong sometimes, and it's okay. It's about accepting that... You may give a reading and your subconscious kicked in, your issues kicked in, and hopefully you're not doing this professionally for money, uh, and then you know you're, you will be able to try again. If you are doing it professionally, and you will still be wrong if you're doing it professionally, I would just say nicely to the client, excuse me, let me cleanse myself and cleanse the deck and let's try again. That's a great, great piece of advice yeah i think a lot of people we're so used to seeing you know the the people on tiktok and the internet who are really well seasoned but for anyone who's starting out giving them these pieces of advice so that way they feel more comfortable in moving forward is i think so important because we really kind of just see like we we all miss out on that middle section where everyone's figuring it out because you're either a beginner or you're a professional and you're like there's a lot there's a lot that happens in between novice and master and we don't get to see it. Yeah, I think that's one of the big things that tarot gives us is a, a larger capacity for uncomfortable feelings and feeling unsure. I think that's a, a good gift that it gives us. Mm-hmm. I can definitely agree with that. That's something that we we talked about a lot in philosophy was learning to sit comfortably in the waters of uncertainty. Mm, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like I need that tattooed on my forehead. I should take a philosophy class. (laughs) Are there any closing remarks, thoughts, anything else that you would like to share unprompted? Sure. So there's a lot of people want to know how to read without the book. And the answer that I have for you is you need to learn how to 
read the symbolism. There's a secret language, at least encoded in the Rider Waite Smith deck. Um, and that is the, the deck that all modern decks are based off of. And if you're interested in that, you can check out Pythian Mystery School. You can do your own research, but I'm going to tell you, it's not all in one book. It took me a very long time to kind of gather all of the pieces and put it together and say, yeah, I know what the sunflower represents. I know what the waves represent. Because a lot of people want to do intuitive reading, which can be helpful and valid, but it's not the concrete meaning behind the card yeah absolutely it's a marathon not a sprint so buckle in for a good amount of studying yeah a good amount of studying it, it never stops and that's what i love about esotericism the occult magic and tarot is that it, it never ends there's always something new to learn if you keep your eyes open and keep searching yeah wonderful well hey on that note ashley thank you so much for joining us as you said um pythian mystery school people can check you out there on tiktok and awesome podcast Nicole Unveiled is there anywhere else that people can check you out or is that a uh, kind of covers covers the book for you that's it and I want to say thank you so much Ruth and Anna for having me on today it has been such a pleasure it's been wonderful getting to know you <laughs> well hey don't forget to subscribe and drop a review so we can find new fans tell your friends and follow us on all the socials our handles are sweet death Inc. and mystic fool tarot on all platforms see you later we did it mm-hmm.